Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. week three this is why because after the first round of games everyone thinks they have it down pat and then week two happens and we know nothing we all know nothing so today we get to take both of those games for every single fantasy relevant player spin it around the nfl because hayden and i have watched every single game of the weekend he's gone through his spreadsheets gone through all the stats we bring up the film on this show as well combine the two to once again, Hayden, try to find try to find the answers as best as possible in this lovely game we call fantasy football. Yeah, and this week I've added the regression candidates. We're starting to get enough data to officially call out some regression candidates. But the film, that's what distinguishes this show, the film. The film. And if you enjoy it for any moment, like 65% of you that watched last week are not subscribed to the channel. If you're watching it for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you must like something. So smash that subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up while you're down there. Again, we're going to go team by team, and we kick it off with the Arizona Cardinals. Hayden Winks, a team who hasn't led in regulation, but is one and one thanks to the individual madness that is Kyler Murray. This team is so damn frustrating. There's two major concerns I have with this, aside from the offensive line, just schematically. There's nothing layered. There's no high lows. It's like there's like nothing to read. There's no way to like for Kyler to like move left and right uh, and get the linebackers and safeties moving across. And there's nothing downfield except go balls down on the sideline to AJ Green. And AJ Green did not have a good game last week. And they're using Marquise Brown like he's DeAndre Hopkins, except he's not DeAndre Hopkins. And he's actually plays closer to Christian Kirk and we get none of it. <laughs> so right now the offense is basically this Kyler Murray scrambling like a madman, showing off his elite athleticism and making plays himself. There's nothing structural about this offense that I like at all. It's all screens. It's all BS. There's nothing downfield and they're just lucky they have Kyler Murray. There's a few things, and that certainly is one. I also feel like we're not even close to what we should know from these Arizona Cardinals because I don't know if we're going to figure it out until week six of the NFL season, and I'll lay out why. One, we are expecting a huge send-off, send-up for Rondale Moore heading into the season. We're not getting that at all because he's been hurt. Second, they traded for Marquise Brown because Kyler was one – you know, the more vertical passers in the league last year. But when I went back and looked at this, Hayden, Rondo, uh, Marquise Brown is playing, you know, almost 100% of his snaps as the left wide receiver. Almost 100% of his snaps as a left wide receiver. So, like, as soon as he comes back in DeAndre Hopkins into the fold, we're going to have to change everything around once again. You know, like, I don't think Hollywood is then going to shift over to A.J. Green as the right wide receiver. If he's going to take away from anything, I think he's going to be – that vertical slot player. So like what we know about this team through two weeks is not great because cliff isn't creating anything nicely for this offense or easily for this offense. And then I think it's also won by game seven. We're going to have to reset exactly what we think of them as well. 
I think he's gonna go to the right. I, I think he's gonna go to the AJ Green spot. I, otherwise, they're 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 not gonna have Rondell Moore on the field. Uh, in the meantime, Marquise Brown is a positive regression candidate. He's the wide receiver twenty one in usage. He's been the wide receiver thirty four to start the season. Uh, got tackled at the one. A couple near uh, big plays from him as well. And then Greg Dortch remains in our lives. Uh, the routes dropped a little bit, but he's still top fifty in fantasy points. So those are the two. Uh, named that receiver but really after watching this first game and i know you have some clips potentially here is zach ertz zach ertz is the tight end two in fantasy usage he ran a route on 93 percent of dropbacks that was way more than it was in week one when he's coming back from that injury and like i said if there's nothing layered if there's nothing downfield they're yep. still throwing passes and a lot of them are going to zach ertz so i think in the meantime with rondale Moore banged up He's the guy that they feel comfortable just sitting in zone coverage, a couple screens to him because they don't have any anything else functional. And I think Zach Ertz, I think I will be ranking him as maybe the tight end five in fantasy yep. this week. I think there's a good debate versus him and George Kittle coming off of injury right now. Dalton Schultz might miss time. I think that Zach Ertz is like very, very, very legit in fantasy right now. He is the tight end five in fantasy points per game through two contests, 10 catches for 89 yards and a touchdown on 15 targets. It's nothing special. I mean, when he goes against linebackers, he is stressing vertically and sitting in these zones or, you know, having the right to get open. Then if he's facing Jonathan Abram this past weekend or any other defensive backs, he's kind of using his size and body positioning to, to win in that environment. But here we are. We're seeing some end zone looks. We're seeing some red zone looks. And without this team having a not going to call it consistent pass catcher uh, at every single alignment. He is the one that's like a volume hawk. He's doing his best Dalton Schultz. Let's put it that yes. way. That is the nicest thing I can say about, you know, whatever 30 year old, nearly Zach Ertz right now. And I think it's going to continue. Um, yep. I wanted to ask you because it seems like James Conner is fine coming off that ankle injury, an ankle injury that did knock him out of this contest. He was seeing insane volume in week one when that game was close enough. He was probably going to get insane volume here in week two. Do you want to talk about what we did see out of that split backfield once he did go down? Because it might be a scenario that we see later on this year too. Another thing about the fantasy usage model is there's a human element. I remove games where players get injured, which makes the model a little bit more predictive. Uh, so I removed James Conner. He was the uh, RB10 last week. Uh, like you said, it was a split backfield. It was Eno Benjamin to start the game, and Eno Benjamin is still kind of the compliment. Basically, what happened is Daryl Williams comes in there, and Daryl Williams has somewhat of the James Conner role, not to the same extent. He gets the goal line opportunity, but Eno Benjamin, Daryl Williams, they're splitting time. Eno's more of the pass catching back, but this might not matter. There's a chance James Conner comes back for week three, regardless. Did want to add on Zach Ertz that he's already tied for third in the NFL with four targets inside of the 10 yard line, which again, Touchdowns matter so, so much. And if he can keep that up, then he's going to stay fantasy relevant despite being taken after so many, maybe more athletic players. Okay. Cardinals done. Falcons are up next. There's a good start and the bad start. Let's start off with the positivity here because it is Drake London, the rookie wide receiver. We have two games of Drake London. The first was five for 74. The second was eight for 86 and a touchdown. That's on 19 targets. The opposite of this is Kyle Pitts, 10 targets, four receptions for 38 yards, 19 yards in each contest. We're going to bring up clips for both from multiple phases of the field. But I guess my biggest question for you is why is it working for Drake London, but it hasn't clicked for Kyle Pitts? 
Well, I will say I went back and watched this, and I think that Kyle Pitts eventually will be fine. He's not going to be Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey. He's not getting into that tier. The reason why is obviously doesn't have the same quarterback play, and also the Falcons are 30th in neutral pass rate. That's not a, uh, a surprise at all, but Kyle Pitts was out there 91% of the routes. He was isolated in man coverage. He did draw a defensive pass interference way down the field, and you don't really see those type of plays uh, two tight ends. But yes, it is. It has been frustrating. He did get targeted in the red zone. Uh, did, didn't catch that one either. Um, I just think that Drake London has performed very well in these in-breaking routes. They got him in the screen game late in the game. Uh, but right now, this offense is just not passing enough, and that shouldn't be a surprise. We knew what we were signing up for with Kyle Pitts. I don't think he's ever going to have the same volume that someone like Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey has. So can he be efficient and have some spiked weeks? I think that's the difference between him and other tight ends is there's a chance he catches a 45-yard uh, pass down the sideline. You don't get that with any other tight end. Yeah. A few things with that. The barrier for entry for a tight end to be in your lineup and be viable and worthwhile in fantasy is much lower than at wide receiver or running back, right? So we just do need a touchdown. But I think that there is a few conversations to have here. One with usage. Like he's spent 40, 40 snaps in line, 38 snaps in the slot, and 38 wide. It's almost that same 33, 33%, 33% that we saw last season. However, as you said, he only has that one target lined up on the outside all season long. And it was that long pass interference play, you know, like that needs to happen a bit more where we see, I think, some big plays that are schemed from Arthur Smith because we see it throughout the league. Like we've seen it with, let's say, Justin Jefferson from week one this year compared to last year, like matching him up with linebackers and safeties. And that's that's a bit more difficult to do with a tight end than it is with certain wide receivers. Um, I just would love to see more, more NFL coaching that is out of my range of, of knowledge. Let's put it this way for, for someone that is out of my range of belief for what a tight end can be in Cal Pitts. Is that too much to ask? I think he's got the usage. The ball hasn't gone to him yet. And I feel like that's going to self-correct. I, I don't want to over panic. I mean, I will panic that he's not going to be Mark Andrews, but I'm not going to panic anything more than that. Uh, quick running back notes. Tyler Algier comes in and basically takes the Damian Williams role, who's on injured reserve. Cordero Patterson will not be a bell cow. He looked good in space again, did have a drop. He's not going to be an every down player. He's probably going to only play like 55, 60% of the snaps. Uh, I don't think Tyler Algier is a difference maker. I think CPAT still looks pretty good on his chances, but I think ultimately CPAT is going to end up being more like the running back two, three borderline. Right now he's uh, the running back 15 in usage after being top five last week. Yeah, I thought Tyler Algier looked very pedestrian. Uh, who knows if his snaps increase? I think CPAT looks better than pedestrian. CPAT yes. still looks explosive, but we know at the running back position, it, it's all about opportunity. And at least to me, something would have to happen to Cordero Patterson in order for Tyler Algier to be relevant to us on a weekly basis. Um, we did spend a lot of time on Cal Pitts. I did want to bring up this. This snap right here, because I think this kind of outlines the difference of why maybe Drake London is getting home and Cal Pitts isn't. See, they're stacked in the same side here, right? Cal Pitts is the one that pushes off the defensive back attention. And then Drake London is the one who was able to run the shorter pattern. And we've actually seen this a bit more often here, too. Like if you rewind and watch some of these clips, Cal Pitts is the one that is running more downfield routes. And Drake London is running the easier, efficient routes. And yeah. I think that this is just a factor. This is a factor through two weeks. That is what less than one eighth of the entire season. Um, I just hope that sometimes 
this happens to uh to Cal Pitts. But he's he's been opening up lanes for Drake London. There's no question about that. Like he is used. He is being used like a wide receiver on, I would say, half of the dropbacks out there. This will self-correct. I, I'm not I'm not too concerned uh, either way. Drake London does look very good. Amazing. He's already up to the wide receiver 17 in the fantasy usage model. He's a wide receiver 20 already can win underneath crossing routes. What what is he bad? Screens. At? Screens. He's good at everything. We'll note that during his time at USC, he saw a good amount of slot snaps. He's not doing that at the NFL level. It's 93 snaps out wide versus just 11 in the slot. And he's they, uh, he's been awesome, man. They just don't use a slot receiver. They use a fullback. They use yep. multiple tight ends. They're just like not a slot receiver. So, yeah. Baltimore Ravens. While so much focus has been on the Miami Dolphins offense, I thought there was a lot of positivity to say about the Baltimore Ravens offense as well. But not running the ball from our guy T-Strack. We don't even have to hit on this. Of the 29 rushes from the backfield, 10 of them have either gained zero yards or lost yardage. Like, they even got Justice Hill opportunities, and they probably didn't want to go into the season getting Justice no. Hill opportunities. And there's been some murmurs of like, hey, once J.K. Dobbins in there, let's have some optimism. It's a significant injury, and I don't know if we can expect any optimism about this backfield at all. They need Ronnie Stanley back. It was their short yardage, their inability to pick up short yardage in the fourth quarter on these runs cost them the game. That was that was the difference. But I think big picture, they're not even trying to run the ball. And we saw this last year as well. Look at the neutral pass rate for the damn buck or for uh well, also for the damn bucks. But the the, the Ravens, I mean, they're the fourth in neutral pass rate after two weeks. You know, that's the, the big difference. And we, I think we have some clips of Rashad Bateman. Rashad oh, yeah. Bateman looks like an absolute savage out there. I will say he's one of the biggest negative regression candidates in the league, but the fact that they're passing this much and that he looks this good uh, is definitely bullish for him. And I think he's probably going to be more of like an inconsistent wide receiver three, uh, but he just has some wiggle and definitely some speed against man coverage. Yeah. Week two, seven targets, four receptions, 108 yards and a touchdown. I actually wanted to rewind back to this first snap because so much of the narrative heading into this contest was what the Dolphins did last season in terms of zero blitz and getting in Lamar's face and him just panicking. Well, from really the first snap in this contest, they send their corner. Lamar reads it. Perfect reaction by the wide receiver. And then there are plenty of other occasions when it is ISO one-on-one. This is a Rashad Bateman. I mean, this is fantastic. Like, this is nice press coverage from, I believe it's Zane and Howard. And yep. then this is the most important one. Because, again, this is a backside X wide receiver. And then, boom, right off, slant, instant separation. And we have not seen this type of speed from Rashad Bateman yet in the NFL because he's had no opportunities for it. And this was hilarious to me. His next target, look at the difference in cushion that Xavier Howard gives Rashad Bateman. And so he's able to run the sticks, win after the catch, and get another first down. Like this yeah. is exactly what we wanted to see from the evolution of Justice Player because we knew Mark Andrews has always been good. We didn't see enough opportunities from Rashad Bateman last year, but this is the most we've ever seen, and it was beautiful. Also, it was just kind of a narrative breaker for Lamar Jackson against the Blitz. Obviously, he really struggled against the Blitz last year, and they blitzed and played a lot of man coverage behind him this week, and Lamar was very effective with it. Uh, I do just want to throw out Mark Andrews. Um, we all know he's an elite tight end, but like just how elite he could be this year. He's averaging 35.5 more air yards per game than even the second tight end wow. in the league. And if that neutral pass rate holds up, good luck. Mark Andrews, he left a couple plays on the field here, but he's also one of the best tight ends in the league. If he's getting that type of usage, I think that there's a chance that he's the tight end one overall. And I think that he can really separate from everyone 
not named Travis Kelsey, like by like a wide, wide, wide margin. Would it help us if this running game sucks all season long? Yeah, for fantasy. We're, nobody listening to our show drafted J.K. Dobbins, I hope. No, not at all. Okay. Ravens down. Buffalo Bills are up. Their backfield is a mess. Uh, we have seen Devin Singletary emerge as the lead back, but we've already seen Devin Singletary emerge as the lead back last year, and it didn't really give us weekly ceiling outputs. It was weekly floor outputs. Um, maybe most importantly, there were two things that caught my eye. One, Dawson Knox ran more routes and had four first-half targets on Monday Night Football. Um, but we didn't see another four targets for them because they haven't really needed a, a pedal to the floor game yet, you know? And so I don't know if we've seen a four quarters output for the Buffalo Bills offense yet. And that should be frightening for, uh, for teams out there. But again, other than the Stefan Diggs and I really just Stefan Diggs, I don't know if we've seen the ceiling outcomes for any of their players yet either. No, the, the running back rotation is really bad. All three of them uh, got playing time, uh, Cook came in there, 92% of his touches came in garbage time, but still, even with that, all three of them are outside the top 40 in the fantasy usage model at their position. Dawson Knox did run more routes. He's the tight end 21, not as great as I thought it was going to be. Uh, long season, he still has the athleticism and is attached to this offense where I still think that he's on the tight end 1-2 borderline, but certainly has been a little disappointing. The big news I thought from last week was no Gabe Davis. We don't yep. know how long uh, he's going to be out for with an ankle injury. Uh, in comes Jake Kumaro, who is kind of like Gabe Davis without the playmaking skills of Gabe Davis, but he has the size profile. Isaiah McKenzie, sadly, and Jameson Crowder still split their snaps inside the slot. They didn't get a real usage bump. It was just basically Jake Kumaro out there blocking, and he's just not going to get the targets that Gabe Davis would. So in the meantime, Steph Diggs is going to go absolutely nuts. He, I think he's averaging like 12 uh, fantasy points over expected, according to wow. my model. Uh, yeah. Pretty good. I mean, it was like that one little downturn that we got last year with him being like the wide receiver eight last season. And then now we're back to full on elite status for, for Stefan Diggs. It was hilarious to me to see in man coverage, Jake Kumaro, who's been on seven different teams roasting Caleb Farley, who's a yeah. first round corner just, just a couple of years ago. I was surprised. Maybe we didn't see a little more Khalil Shakur. Um, but it makes sense after, you know, that week one when he was inactive and Jake Kumaro was not. He had one snap that I remember where he yeah. was in the condensed formation, didn't know where to line up, then missed a block for a yep. bad play. We might not see him again. <laughs> Carolina Panthers are up next. This might be the least interesting team in the NFL. Uh, like I said, in the instant reaction show, Hayden, I'm, I'm terrified of DJ Moore ceiling in this offense because Baker Mayfield is, is not good. Uh, now, maybe all the peripheral pieces that you can outline are interesting in the fact that Ben McAdoo wants to run with base and he wants to like throw the football. It's just seemingly not good. Like this is just a bad situation and it was not an elevated bump that many were hoping for for DJ Moore in association with Baker Mayfield. Well, what's crazy is they're eighth in neutral pass rate and they were still running with a good pace uh, to start the season. Still, they're 30th in actual offensive plays because they actually can't move the ball. Like, even if you're trying to like work with pace and pass rate and all that stuff, if you're not moving the ball, it doesn't really matter that much. DJ Moore started the season with seven and 7.5 expected half PPR points. He's currently the wide receiver 59 in usage. Uh, Robbie Anderson's the wide receiver 51 in usage. They're just probably going to be trading off big weeks. You're hoping DJ Moore separates from Robbie Anderson, but for now, it's just all comes down to could Baker Mayfield 
actually elevate this offense at nope. to any capacity. Uh, meanwhile, Christian McCaffrey, 91% snaps. That is positive. He has not been getting the damn ball. I don't know why they're not getting him the rock more. Uh, probably it's that that plays metric where they're 30th in plays. That's what's holding him back. But at least he's out there. So I think that there will be better days for Christian McCaffrey. I still think that he has uh, like elite running back potential. By the way, there are no elite running backs right now. Like this, this the top scoring for Chubb. running backs. It's it's Nick Chubb, and there's like nobody like going crazy usage or any of it. It's crazy. On Sunday, Matt Rule said that the team did not need to change anything at their wide receiver position. And then on Monday in his press conference, he said that they wanted to change things at the wide receiver position and give LaVisca Chenault a shot. Uh, the dude just has no clue what he's doing. If you go back and read anything over the last two years of really last year, when he switched over from Joe Brady, he said he wanted to run the football more. And then now obviously they're trying to pass the football more often. And Matt Rule came out and said, cause the best teams do that. He's just lost. Yeah. He's purely lost. Okay. Chicago Bears, talk about being lost. Lost draft picks so far of Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. I mean, Mooney, five targets, two receptions, four yards. Cole Komet, if you look at his pro football reference page, it's hilarious because he has no targets. It's empty. It's empty. Is this going to get any better? Because from my seat, Justin Fields having 28 attempts and only five of them being shared among these two players, like, the Bears offense, from my eyes, no bueno. I haven't watched this game on the All-22 yet. Uh, I chose that for a reason. I was prioritizing which film I wanted to watch. But I did come along with this stat. The Bears, the first offense since 1982 to start the season with eight or fewer completions in their first two games. 1982. It was a different sport back then. I don't, I don't know what we're supposed to do with this. <laughs> It was it was a full on different sport when when those teams were playing. My biggest fear, you remember back a couple of years ago when got Cam Newton was the quarterback for Josh McDaniels and the Patriots were having all of those quarterback problems and they like basically had to manufacture all these yards and do it in somewhat creative ways that kind of look slow all at the same time. Luke Getzey's already pulling things like that out of his ass in week two, like flea flickers moving pockets like it's I just don't see anything where an identity where you can hang your hat on this type of offense moving forward because it's not being built around anything interesting other than David Montgomery and ding, Khalil ding, Herbert ding. running the football that's it it's David Montgomery he's the running back 17 in fantasy usage it's still the same uh formula that it was last week two David Montgomery series one Khalil Herbert series those are like their two best playmakers right now. So uh, I can't wait to watch this game, but I'm not, I don't think I'm going to come out very optimistic after. You're not Cleveland. Nope. Not Cleveland Browns. Cincinnati Bengals are up next. Talking about not knowing what's going on. What the hell is going on with the Cincinnati Bengals? 13 sacks in two games. This is coming from our good friend, Joe Goodberry per PFF. Burrow has been pressured 31% of the time on his dropbacks a season. That's only 17th out of 33 quarterbacks, but he's been sacked on 38% of those pressures. That's the worst in the league. Again, when we go back and watch him, he's double clutching. You're also seeing blown assignments up front. I don't know if the team has an offensive counter either versus, you know, the cover two looks that they're seeing and the Cowboys use cover two on 36% of their defensive snaps in week two versus just 10% 
in week one. So teams know in order to confuse this offense right now, just do something different than you have in the past. And it's run to these two high shells. It was specifically Tampa two and specifically Micah Parsons giving Leal Collins the right tackle hell personally. But yeah, I'm with you. Joe Burrow is just making incorrect reads. Something to monitor with this two high shell is where Jamar Chase is getting his targets. Currently, his A dot, which is average depth of target, is 6.6 yards. Uh, last year was closer to 12. There, he has not had any plays more than 20 yards down the field. They're going to have to self-correct that. There's a couple instances where they went to cover three or cover one, and immediately it was just perimeter throws to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. This will self-correct, but right now, Joe Burrow doesn't trust his offensive line. He's getting kind of scatterbrained. Kind of reminds me of Mac Jones right now, where it's one read and then just trying to scramble around. And it's not as consistent as it was. But I, I still think it's somewhat encouraging that it's not like just Olays from the offensive linemen and that they're holding up. I think just Joe Burrow has to get a little more comfortable and they're going to have to learn how to beat uh, two high shell coverages. But they have the wide receivers like Jamar Chase can win after the catch. Same thing with Tyler Boyd. They, they shouldn't go from great to average. And I, I think it's worth remembering that it's not like this Bengals offense from a stylistic standpoint was beautiful for all 17 games last season. You know, we went through some highs, we went through some lows. We got some real frustrations with Zach Taylor in terms of their neutral pass rate. Um, Maybe he regrets not having a little bit more of that running game working, but the running game also is not working that well, you know, like it from top to bottom, it just feels like they put all their eggs in the basket of, Hey, we're just going to improve our offensive line personnel and that's not gelling. The communication is off. And then because of that, maybe Joe Burrow's not trusting it either. And then obviously leading with so many interceptions in week one, putting yourself in a hole. I'm with you. The talent is too good from a Chase, Higgins, Boyd, Mixon, improved offensive line, individual talents for this not to correct itself as a season goes along. I just want that in week three and yeah. not week eight. Yeah, uh, the good news, Jamar Chase, T. against both top 14 in fantasy usage. In fact, Jamar Chase is actually a positive regression candidate. This might be the last time in the model's history that I'm able to say that. Uh, same thing <laughs> with Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's actually the number one running back regression candidate positively. He's actually number one in fantasy usage of any running back. What I've noticed is he's still getting subbed out in passing situations. He's playing a little more passing situations than previously, but they're drawing up screens. They're drawing him out in uh, little swing passes, and he does have hands. The reason why he's a play in passing now is, one, you can't have a running back play 100% of the snaps, and also Joe Mixon's very bad at pass protection. If you get him out to, into the route earlier, maybe that's one of these answers against the two eye uh, shells is a couple more passes to Joe Mixon. I think Joe Mixon has a chance to be a top five uh, fantasy running back because there are no top five fantasy running backs. Nobody wants to score points at that position right now. Cleveland Browns. I think fading... Jacoby Brissett and his attached wide receivers will work for most weeks. But this past weekend, the Jets struggled to create so much pressure on Jacoby Brissett. And from a video you're about to see, you'll be able to witness that Amari Cooper is still Amari Cooper. And he yes. can just cook coverage. 10 targets, 9 receptions, 101 yards, and 1 touchdown. That individual performance might be even better than the stats indicate. Yeah, he is the wide receiver 28 right now, wide receiver 28 usage as well. If it's a pass play, it's going to Amari Cooper. They tried to get David Njoku on a couple screens. Uh, he had one drop, but in 
one-on-one coverage, he still snaps people off. And there's a couple of these against Sauce Gardner. We talked about the rookies uh, matchups uh, inside, outside, down the field. Amari Cooper can still do everything. It's pretty funny. Nobody ever talks about Amari Cooper. Like he's like Never. the good receiver that nobody ever wants to talk about. But I think at the same time, we have to talk about this. The Jets defense is not good. There was a lot of coverage bust. They can't uh, rush the passer right now. Amari Cooper was running wide open on multiple occasions. Uh, and then my other note here was Jacoby Brissett made a couple more plays than I was expecting Jacoby Brissett to make. There was a couple where he was stepping into the pocket and then still hitting his wide receivers in space. But I think we don't like to talk about Amari Cooper because he's like old and like it's the Browns and all that stuff. And he's not fun to stack with. But I think that he's going to be a wide receiver three this year. It won't be consistent, but there will be more weeks when the Browns are trailing and that will lead into Amari Cooper. He also had a lot of air yards in week one, came down with a bunch of pass interference or holding penalties too. So, I mean, the usage as like a downfield player is is absolutely there. Just is a little bit concerning. They play on, I think, Thursday night football this week as well against the against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I Whenever I stare at lineups, it's just really difficult for me to trust anyone that is attached to Jacoby Brissett's arm, even despite him making some positive plays on a week-in and week-out basis. Uh, and Nick Chubb, I'm not going to say he lost the game for them, this past weekend, but if he just had gone down, they had a better opportunity. But at the same time, you know, he was so don't give good. up an onside kick. Don't uh, don't blow coverages immediately to Corey Davis and uh, you can have a better week. But Nick Chubb is still unbelievable. Yep. Uh, he's right now the running back seven in usage. Number one in actual fantasy points. Cream Hunt still 20. They got him some uh, touches and he's like actually the running back. I'd like the seven yard line. So he's still going to get some goal line touchdowns here and there. But this is such a run first offense. I think both of them will get there. Dallas Cowboys. Okay, so this past weekend, C.D. Lamb did get to seven catches for 75 yards. But Noah Brown, Noah Brown is already at 68 yards in week one and 91 yards in a touchdown in week two. He's the wide receiver 19 overall in fantasy points per game at the moment. So far, 50 snaps in the slot, 62 out wide. Noah Brown... Legit good, and this is why he's keeping a rookie in Jalen Tolbert off the field, but he's even exceeding those expectations, Hayden. Yeah, it just comes down to when's Michael Gallup going to return. He could be coming back, I think, as soon as this week, but maybe a couple more weeks from now, and then that would end this fun. I haven't got to watch this game, but the big news uh, coming out of this was Dalton Schultz, PCL injury. Uh, He was obviously going to be a check down king for them. Uh, He could miss a couple weeks here, and that would just open up CeeDee Lamb target. CeeDee Lamb. Uh, the biggest positive regression candidate. My model does not know that Cooper Rush is playing quarterback instead of Dak Prescott, but uh, CeeDee Lamb still the wide receiver 18. He's had 37% target share. I think he's a wide receiver three, even with Cooper Rush. I think a lot of times when we see random players like this on perceived ends of rosters, even though Noah Brown was going to start in two wide receiver sets until Michael Gallup got back, uh, you can outline it at times and say like, Hey, this guy's not talented or this was a fluke. I don't know if this Noah Brown stuff is a fluke, man. Like he's running these inside breaking routes really nicely. Again, he's being lined up in multiple different alignments. And if Cooper rush plays like he did last weekend, he can keep him relevant. I'm not saying, you know, go out there and stick him in as a flex option this week, even though injuries are hitting around there, but there hasn't been a mark where I'm like, uh, this is just a fad. This is, not a trend while Noah Brown is out there. I think Noah Brown's earning targets. If I'm allowed to use that term, 10 pushups for you. (laughs) 
Okay, Dallas Cowboys down. Let's go on over to the dysfunctional Denver Broncos. Uh, let's start in the backfield because this is going to be a, a conversation we have every single week on this, your favorite show, the Stats versus Film. 60-40, is that the right way of putting this? Like, did we learn anything more about the red zone or passing situations? Obviously, both were used less in passing situations than they were in week one. Javante ran more routes. He was actually out there for 63% of the dropbacks. Meanwhile, Melvin Gordon, 23%. I think it's like 60, 30. Um, Boone gets in there for a couple snaps. Uh, but Javante right now is the running back three in fantasy usage. is actually a positive regression candidate because of some of those goal line uh, carries not being converted out there. There's a chance that he is just the guy. This offense to me is pretty dysfunctional, but it's dysfunctional in ways that it's just giving the ball to the fantasy assets that we like Javante Williams specifically, and then Cortland Sutton, who we'll get to next. But right now I think this is a redraft win. Uh, I would take a 60 40 split. If you were telling me where you were getting Javante Williams and there's a chance it goes a little bit higher than that. I thought both of them ran uh, pretty well. They just had some costly fumbles. Um, but other than that, I think they both are running well, at least to outline that the Broncos have taken 25 offensive penalties so far this season. That's the most in the league. No other team has more than 18 this is according to Graham Barfield as well. Six times this offense has entered the red zone and they've exited with zero touchdowns. Like this is one of those things that even despite all of the criticisms that Nathaniel Hackett is hearing from every single podcast out there, um, this comes with reps. This comes with experience. Like, again, it's something that's going to be evened out. This is rock bottom for management game management situations and it can only improve from there and can also only improve when you know you get stuffed on fourth down or you fumble that same fourth down carrier you fumble another opportunity inside the five yard line with these running backs so we know that so many of those touchdowns happen obviously inside the red zone even more inside the 10 and even more inside the five and so the ceiling outcomes i think are still much higher than what we saw through the first two weeks with javante and melvin okay Go through Cortland Sutton because we yeah. saw Jerry Judy bounce down uh, in in this game. Uh, I believe he left with a shoulder issue that they're still awaiting word on the severity of it. Um, but what I saw was Cortland Sutton thriving in man coverage. Big time thriving, 41% target share. He was the wide receiver six in fantasy usage last week. He has a 14.1 ADA. A lot of his throws are down the field, similar to kind of how Russell Wilson was treating DK Metcalf. He's one of the biggest positive regression candidates in the league, especially when you consider Jerry Judy's most likely going to miss this game. KJ Hamler played week one. They kept him out week two. We don't know his status. All of a sudden they're going to be running out like Kendall Hinton as like the wide receiver too. Alberto really hasn't stepped up uh, at the tight end position. The air yards will be there for Cortland Sutton. I would be very surprised if he's not like top 12, top 15 in fantasy uses this week. And I think that he looks pretty damn good so even all the chaos around it might actually play into Corlin Sutton's favor he's the only option down there and right now Russell Wilson's not seeing the field over the middle the offense just looks dysfunctional so when you have that what do you do you drop back and throw a big pass down the sideline that's where Corlin Sutton's going to be Detroit Lions this conversation begins with Amon Ross St. Brown doing insane stuff week one 12 targets eight receptions 64 yards and a touchdown week two 12 targets Nine receptions, 116 yards, and two scores. And by the way, 68 yards on the ground. The running schemes, the passing schemes, the offensive line, evolution when you have injuries along it. Backups. There are no excuses. Dan Campbell will not hear your excuses. They'll just rise to the challenge. And what we're seeing 
is two of fantasy's great so far through two games in Amon Ross St. Brown and DeAndre Swift. Scheme touches, but also winning one-on-one coverage in the end zone for touchdowns to the I mean, so athletic too. I want to pop quiz time for, for Mr. Josh Norris here. Well, let's do it. His last eight games. What do you think his 17 game total yard paces <laughs> over his last eight games? What do you think he's on pace for? If you extrapolate those, which for the record is an offense uh, for the, the stat nerds out there, but let's just play this game. I mean, you're the geek. I'm just the guy sitting at this desk. Um, okay. Let's say about eight or nine. Let's say uh, 1,890 yards. Very damn good. He's at 1846. Wow, look at me. Pretty look at damn me. good. Uh, uh yeah, right now in the fantasy Jamal, he's he's the wide receiver nine in usage, wide receiver three in production. He's their scheme touch player. They have DJ Chark who nearly came down with a couple deep passes on post route that Jared Goff should have hit on. DJ Chark will be in our better and best ball lives, but all things underneath are going to Monroe St. Brown because TJ Hawkinson isn't really adding anything underneath either. I actually want to bring up this specific play because it was a third and three against the Washington commanders defense, which is back to square one where they started last season off. Uh, you can see as a quote unquote outside wide receiver, I'm on Ross St. Brown here, but this little split release takes both the attention of 25. Who's this press corner. And then three who's William Jackson. Who's the off corner. They both go with him. And on third and three, there are zero eyeballs on Amon Ross St. Brown, and he just finds himself wide open in the middle, catch and run. And then even the jet action that they had Mm -hmm. earlier, you know, we see it across the league and rarely is the ball handed off. In this game, they handed off twice to him with that. It's just keeping teams honest each, each and every week with how you approach him and putting him up into these advantageous situations. And even more opportunities are there. I don't want to, you know, get upset with the guy because they won and they're really fun. But this wasn't even, I don't think, a good Jared Goff game. No, it was a bad game. <laughs> yes, he missed a lot of throws. He, he, he missed, missed that, a lot that, of throws. That Amon Ra touchdown was an awesome throw. I almost put it on my Twitter. But I'm with you. He missed a lot of throws over the middle. He left DJ Chark hanging on multiple occasions. I am with you. I, but your note, though, the offensive line is still holding up inside. And like DeAndre Swift had a couple of cutbacks for big gains. Uh, Jamal Williams, I know we got to talk about the running back situation here. <clears throat> Jamal Williams is still getting subbed in at the goal line. That's why he's the running back 14 in the fantasy usage model. He's only running around on 16% of dropbacks. That's DeAndre Swift's role. Uh, DeAndre Swift, this is crazy. He's actually the second biggest negative regression candidate. He looks great, which explains that. But RB3 and half PPR points per game. He's actually the RB29 in actual usage. He's obviously playing through that ankle injury. The usage will come up as well um but he looks great everything on space he's just so athletic yeah i saw some absurd number that his yards before contact is just astronomical yep. in comparison to any back over the last five years and if you can do that with your offensive line that is not even back to full health he can thrive in those situations as we outlined now people love air yards you're going to hear and see a bunch of these models uh dj chark is inches away from multiple big plays over these last two weeks. Like Jared hit this throw. Come on, buddy. Like this is a wide open concept that Dan Campbell and Johnson, you know, created here. That's like a deep over route. Let's hit this. You know, I'm not saying, and he's out there, you know, a ton of snaps. If you're looking for someone and have a certain priority in your waiver wire and then need to come back and take it someone at the end of it. And DJ Chark is out there. It's, it's worth a shot. 
I think it's worth a shot with him because this is an offense I think that we want pieces of. And I know statistically it hasn't hit through two games, but just watching it, again, they're inches away from multiple big plays, touchdowns, 60-yard bombs, so on and so forth each week. Just so I can read the table for regression is this is the expected table. So if you have a low number here and you're not scoring any fantasy points because of it, that means you're a positive regression candidate. And DJ Chark is the wide receiver 34 in usage better in best ball. Yep. Green Bay Packers. So week one, Aaron Jones had 13 snaps, not in the backfield. Week two, Aaron Jones had 13 snaps, not in the backfield. However, the usage and him getting the touches, Hayden, were drastically different. I think a major part of this was Alan Lazard returning because then that pushes the other wide receiver usage in different ways. Because to me, we talked and used the term window dressing for Aaron Jones in week one, which is absolutely true. He was the one working across the formation and AJ didn't get the ball in the backfield. Aaron Jones at times was the one as a single back. And then Christian Watson was the one that was doing the window dressing and working across the formation. So if that's the case, then this is massive for the rest of Aaron Jones's season, because then as we already knew, both these backs are extremely talented and both have huge, huge ceilings. Yeah. Aaron Jones went crazy. Like Aaron Jones can do on big plays. We still don't get him at the goal line. These are all longer touchdowns. So we, I think that, AJ Dillon still would have subbed in there right now. Uh, he's just dunking on my model. It happens. Uh, in week one, he had 9.7 expected half PPR points. Last week, 12.1. He's the RB24 in usage. He's the running back four in half PPR points because he's had so many explosive plays. So uh, just credit to Aaron Jones just being better than my model. We're still in on AJ Dillon despite him scoring fewer points. Like Again, this is a backfield and a team that should really focus their offense around these running backs. What did you think of Alan Lazard? Yeah, uh, Alan Lazard, um, he was out there for 90% of routes. He obviously is going to get in there and block his ass off. Uh, when With him out there, all of the Sammy Watkins, the Dubs, the Watts, Watson, they're all in a rotation. You can't start any of them. I think Alan Lazard is going to separate here. Uh, obviously, they were in so control of this game that they didn't even have to use uh, the pass game at all. Um, going back, just quick note, A.J. Dillon, because you talked about the usage. The usage is still there. He's the RB9 in fantasy usage just because he has that goal line role. So this is a start-both situation. I think both of them are going to be closer, like running back 10 to 15 kind of in that range. But each of them have multiple touchdown uh, upside because it's going to be a run-first offense attached to Aaron Rodgers. And we did see him score a touchdown near the red zone. Again, that is such an area of my focus moving forward with these wide receivers who was getting the opportunities inside the 10 and inside the 20 because Devontae Adams was top three in those opportunities last year. And I think just in a very small sample when they absolutely dominated this contest, Adam Lazard is going to be that focal point. We also see you know, more interesting and pure running concepts from both Aaron Jones and namely A.J. Dillon in, in that environment. We'll talk about this on the Friday pregame show preview show but our buddy jared smola did note that the packers currently have the fifth lowest implied total for week three at 19 and a quarter points right now wow so we're definitely going to talk about in the game by game preview show if you subscribe you'll see that on friday morning here we go houston texans so after week one when damian pierce saw a lot of work and then didn't play in the final six minutes of the fourth quarter. And for the entire overtime, Damian Pierce, after Lovey Smith talked about in his press conference, flipped back to the running back one first 18 snaps. He saw 17 Rex Burkhead saw one his j snaps jumped from 29% to 
to 63%. We still haven't gotten like a vintage, what I will call that future vintage Damian Pierce run yet in terms of him breaking out and running over someone's face and having an electric highlight reel. There's a couple that are super, super close each week though. Yeah, but still early downs on the Texans. He had 10 expected half PPR points in the role that we were expecting. I think that he's going to be a running back three because Rex Burkhead, even though he was not playing as much, he's still playing in the passing situations. Speaking of passing situations with the Texans, though, sixth in neutral pass rate. Wow. Pretty crazy. Um, So Brandon Cooks, obviously, is going to be the primary beneficiary of that. He is also a positive regression candidate. Uh, He's up to the wide receiver 15 in usage, uh, had 26% of the targets. In friendlier matchups, obviously, playing the Broncos, not a great matchup individually. In friendlier matchups, Brandon Cooks has elite upside. I have to start Davis Mills now in some super flex leagues because Trey Lance went down. So you could be worse, I think. The upside might be a little capped, but uh, you you can do worse. Uh, Nico Collins got nine targets as well. Yeah, Davis Mills all right. Davis Mills is all right. Okay. Indianapolis Colts, maybe the bottom of the barrel offense right now, especially without Michael Pittman. Do you even want to go into like how they played these wide receivers without him? Because even when... Even when there's no quote-unquote competition out there, Paris Campbell isn't good enough to make an impact in your fantasy lineups. Like he was drafted as someone who's at least going to be on your bench, and now there's no reason for him to be there. Yeah, 4% targets last week is just unacceptable. Um, It is what it is. I did have some notes here. Uh, The Jaguars' front seven is pretty nasty, and they... They gave Matt Ryan hell. Uh, I thought that it was interesting that Naeem Hines gets like three schemed passes immediately, s- slot snaps out there uh, on third downs, and then that kind of just goes away, and the offense just had nothing. There's a couple of plays where Matt Ryan just like was trying to loft balls into uh, yep. too high coverage and just was hanging out there for too long. They just don't have any playmakers. We said that it, it's a top-heavy uh, skill core, and... Yep. They're injured right now. So we'll see if, if Michael Pittman comes back as a quad midweek quad injury. We don't know the severity of it. Sounds kind of bad. Um, but Alec Pierce should come back next week. And Alec Pierce, even as a rookie, is at least better than some of the guys that are trotting out there right now. But in the meantime, Matt Ryan's not going to elevate the roster at his at his age right now. And the roster just isn't that great. You outlined it. The Frank Reich script early on worked to some degree, because you had two immediate receptions done, nine Hines, then a third one on that same drive. And then he only played a total of 15 snaps for the rest of the game. It's weird. Something's up. Like it's none of it. None of it is working out right now for the Indianapolis Colts. Only, only one more note on, on these Colts. Jonathan Taylor gets one target. They were trailing the entire game. Like, can we just flick the ball to him? Well, he's playing a ton of third down snaps too. I'm not just throwing the ball. I don't a ton know. Ton of third down snaps. And even the tight ends are irrelevant. Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's talk about this backfield first, and then we'll get into some really fun stuff at wide receiver for them. It's 65-35, James Robinson to Travis Etienne. And for my seat, Hayden, I think both look really good for their respective strengths. So I doubt that this changes at all. You know, J-Rob was awesome on that 30-plus yard touchdown run. And Travis Etienne has been like the receiving back. He's the get-out-in-space back. He's the manufactured touch guy, and to use that speed. And if we overlook the two miscues in, in week one, he's been really good in that role too. So it's not a case here where I think the younger back can supplant the older back just by talent and performance alone. Because again, they're both are thriving in the opportunities that they're being given right now. 
this is how they should be used. It's like so obvious to me. And James Robinson's the RB12, Travis Etienne RB37 in usage. I will continue to be ranking Robinson ahead of Travis Etienne. Maybe you can get Travis Etienne in full PPR into the flex, but I think for the most part, he's a bench hold. I don't have the stats. I'm waiting for SIS to finish up their week two charting, but it's very obvious to me. James Robinson getting inside zone, outside zone stuff. Travis Etienne, it's pitches. And the reason why is because of the visions. Exactly. I mean, we couldn't have nailed a player projection better than what we did uh, in this backfield uh, with Travis Etienne. He's still super athletic. He's going to be making some plays. Uh, But I think the storyline of this game is just Christian Kirk. Yep. Let's talk about Christian Kirk. Uh, First, a Trevor Lawrence stat at you because they are so connected. On throws of 2.5 seconds or less in this contest against the Colts, Trevor Lawrence went 18 for 19. 18 for 19. That quick game is so much of what we wanted to see from him. He was nearly flawless, I thought, for so much of this because we know on those extended plays with the hose that he has that he can launch it vertically and be super aggressive. But here it is, man. Christian Kirk, and it's his first play I know you definitely want to talk about. Wide receivers in the backfield is literally undefeated. Uh, Cooper Cup had one. There's a bunch of them from just this week alone, but it's Christian Kirk everywhere. It's not just the backfield stuff. It's all the stuff over the middle. This is a four verts concept with an option route underneath. Good luck covering that in an isolated coverage. Christian Kirk picks up that one. There was this little uh, leak route on on a, a play action in the red zone for Christian Kirk. Easy touchdown there. And the big note for fantasy purposes is he's the, the leading receiver in percentage of his targets over the middle historically targets over the middle are worth more fantasy points than they are on the sideline but that throw right there i had to put that in there even though it was by the sideline trevor lawrence making a play by himself and putting some touch on that pass that was very encouraging but really you see it they put a huge bag in front of christian kirk and they're actually using him i'm calling him the focal point of the offense a lot of their reads are for christian kirk that play specifically kind of outlines that all the speed on the outside let christian kirk win underneath two-thirds of his targets are from one to ten air yards. Uh, It's not just the vertical slot element that we saw with the Arizona Cardinals. Like you said, everything is being built around here. And Doug Peterson, John Shipley said it, he has right of the ship and even more than that. You know, He's setting these players up for success. Heck, even Evan Ingram had some really nice moments, one-on-one against linebackers, playing with some real, true aggression. And... I think the younger players on the defensive side of the ball are going to improve as the season goes along. We saw the jump from Devin Lloyd from week one to week two. Trayvon Walker and the length. The length showed up in week one with interception, showed up in week two with a near sack fumble as well to force Matt Ryan out of the pocket. With how the Titans look and the Colts look, the feisty Jaguars could be super spicy come, come November and December. The the underdog football show is predicting the Jaguars to win the AFC South. Let's do it. I'm, I'm there. Why not? Let's have some fun with it. Uh, uh, Josh Allen also off the edge. So damn fast. It's a great compliment. Trayvon Walker uh, and Josh Allen. Uh, and like you said, I thought Doug Peterson, everything. There was a couple of times where they would uh, drop eight in the red zone. Uh, and it was confusing the hell out of the Colts. Uh, got Trayvon Walker and his athleticism actually out as a traditional linebacker not an edge rusher and then they were in even the first quarter fourth and three around uh, midfield they go for it pick it up uh, instead of punting and so the entire organization we knew it but we're really seeing how much Doug Peterson is controlling this offense everything is working out schematically and they're getting their players in the right position that's all you can ask for Kansas City Chiefs while they won on Thursday night football we were expecting a little bit more of an electric factory between them and the Chargers what we got was Juju Smith-Schuster three targets for 10 yards. 
MVS, two targets for 13 yards. Justin Watson, two for 50 and a score. Miko Hardman, three for, for 49. Is there anything you can impart on these people that drafted Juju super highly? MVS is a mid-round pick that we said he should be. Other than Hayden, they are playing Indianapolis Colts this weekend, and you get Patrick Mahomes history against Gus Bradley, which means fireworks. That means specifically MVS, uh, if it's going to be cover one and cover three, um, which we should expect. But yeah, with the Juju stuff, I don't know. It's so hard that we're dealing with like two weeks of of noise here. But McCole Hardman, wide receiver 42, Juju 55, MVS 56 uh, in usage. There's a little bit of a rotation. They're playing about 80% of the snaps, Juju and MVS. And then McCole Hardman plays like 60%. Uh, Watson gets in there for a little bit. Skymore barely plays at all. It's a rotation. They kind of warned us with it. So I'm, I, I wonder if there's going to be a better and best ball type of team because uh, they're even getting their tight ends, multiple running backs involved. But I think Juju and MVS will be all right. I want to save it for the preview show, but you couldn't get more drastic defensively going from the Chargers and Brandon Staley to what he's going to face this week with Gus Bradley. You know, like this is the week that we should see explosives from the Chiefs and downfield passing. And if it doesn't happen after this week, I think then then we can show some nerves and show some and ask some real questions. But I saw some mentioning, hey, because, you know, Juju and MVS aren't getting a lot of production, that might mean a rookie like Skymore can jump into. But I don't think that Juju and MVS are doing anything wrong in the Chiefs' eyes to lose opportunities for a rookie to step up. I just think that this is how the offense is now orchestrated. You know, it's it's so much different than it used to be with with Tyreek Hill and taking vertical shots over and over and over again, that they're using these multiple tight ends, that they are spreading it around, that they're getting Justin Watson, those vertical slot plays at times too. And obviously all the cool and fun stuff with Miko Hardman and even getting him down the field along the sideline at times. This isn't a case to me where, oh, Juju's production is not there. MVS's production is not there. So Andy Reid's going to say, oh, that means we need to play Sky Moore 100% of the snaps. Do you, does that yeah. make sense to you? Sky Moore is a special teamer right now. He's a second round draft pick he was like the wide receiver 13 in the class i think that we should temper expectations i think he eventually is going to steal some snaps from mccall hardman but i'm not sure he's going to go out there and like two wide receiver sets this that's what i'm like saying pretty big ass so uh sky more like in deep leagues keep him on your bench uh but i think for the most part mvs and Juju are too too paid i don't think they've done anything too wrong on tape yet uh I mean, even travis kelsey's rotating he's playing 79 percent of snaps even travis kelsey it's, it's just a different type a of change. offense yes different offense can we say anything about the running back spot i Felt like some some details are important here, some context with CEH because he was pretty much dominating early on and Jarek came in and saw some of those passing down rolls and did catch a touchdown in the red zone. There's this one video that was passed around where CEH got his knee stepped on. He was on the sideline with the running back group. Who knows if he's going to return? And then he did return later on and had a nice long run. Again, I think this is back to, while he's not a punishing run over your face runner like Clyde Edwards Lair is doing everything that is being asked of him. And if the blocking remains this good, then Clyde Edwards Lair is on like that running back to flex territory for me. I want to give him a little more credit than that. Yeah. He's, he's hard to tackle. Like he's, he's not a bowling like, ball. He's a bowling ball and he's, he's hard to bring down and he's making the most of it behind a really good offensive line. There's just no fancy, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of, cause yeah. we'd like to highlight fancy flair. here and we're going to yeah. get to that. There's no flair to it. Yeah. It's just like in a five, eight package, I'm going to run in a straight line exactly where I'm going to. 
yeah, uh, he's not going to keep up this pace. Uh, those big plays just aren't going to be sustainable, but he is the goal line back attached to Patrick Mahomes. Jarek McKinnon still playing the passing downs. Isaiah Pacheco is not going to get in there very much and set for garbage time. I think CH is like a boom bust RB two, three. I'm not going to get carried away, even though he has been dominating right now. He's like, what the running back six in points. I'm going to be ranking him as like the running back 20 ish every single week. And unless he gets the, the third down opportunities. Las Vegas Raiders. So I know that this was a down week for Devontae Adams, especially in comparison to week one. But here's my context for Devontae Adams. He already has five red zone targets. Darren Waller has three. And Hunter Renfro has two. And that was after Hunter Renfro tied for the fifth most in the NFL last season. So again, pathways to production, to where you drafted him, to where he finished last season in Hunter Renfro it seems like every single box is not being checked for, for that to happen. Um, because again, Devante had the third most red zone targets last year, and he's already up in that same range this season. Again, in a very, very small sample. I have 0% concern with Devante Adams. Oh no, same. Yeah, that was yeah. mainly a, a Hunter Renfro comment. Yes. Than anything else. Hunter Renfro is not playing two wide receiver set snaps. Mac Hollins is out there playing all the snaps right now. Uh, Hunter Renfro is just, he's getting scheme touches like, screens and those type of things. I'm not sure if he's going to be getting any red zone looks. Why would you throw the ball to him versus Darren Waller, who had they had on isolation two goal line fades uh, and then Devontae Adams, all the rub routes, all the isolation. Uh, he can do jump ball fades, but all can do, do the option routes, all that fun stuff. After two weeks, though, the Raiders are first in neutral pass rate. The offensive line is so-so. Uh, I didn't clip Josh Jacobs because I didn't want to get canceled. Josh Jacobs looks really good running the ball right now. He's like top five in all these elusiveness stats, but just go watch him run. He's hard to bring down. He had a very bad game in pass protection. He's still not playing all the passing down snaps. They're not going to run the ball, but at least Josh Jacobs looks good out there. Uh, this offense, I think, is going to be pretty fun. Los Angeles Chargers. Sometimes I feel like the Thursday night football game of the previous week was three weeks ago. Uh, but at the time, we need to bring up Austin Eckler. We need to bring up Austin Eckler and his usage. Um, should we be concerned? Is it that simple of a question? Because, I mean, at least from my brain, the memory is that there was a television timeout. He wasn't in there for the inside the 10-yard line carry. We're like, okay, if he comes in and gets the rest after his television timeout, it's all good. And then he wasn't in there once again, Hayden. Like, how concerned should we be about Austin Eckler? Not even just hitting the top six pick overall ceiling, but like being locked in there among the top six scores at the position each and every week. I mean, you have to have some concern and pull it up right here. You can see kind of the nerd elements back in the backdrop, but this is definitely a split backfield um, to some extent. This is the Sony Michelle coming after the, the commercial break, which had me very worried, but in the second half, he got some check down options when the game was close. Uh, there was one theory. I think Daigle flowed this out. I can somewhat kind of buy it is week one. They knew that they had the chiefs on short rest. Maybe they didn't play him as much in that game. Uh, Austin Eckler was number one in fantasy usage last week, even with all the hell we had to go through because all of those uh, receptions later in the game. So I don't know what to do about it. I think that after week three, I'll make my official stance on Austin Eckler, but it's not going to be like it was last year. I still no. think there's a chance he can be top five ish, but I think he's gonna have to really earn it with these targets and not maybe as much near the goal line. Passing offense. Justin Herbert is currently 30th in air yards per attempt in the league. Last year, he was at 7.6 air yards per attempt, which I think was 21st among all quarterbacks. And we had hoped that that was going to improve with Zion Johnson, who's looking really good. 
it's dropped down to six, six air yards per attempt this season. Uh, you can talk about that, and you can also bring up what we saw with Keenan Allen out. It's exactly what we expected with Josh Palmer playing on the outside, sometimes in the slot, and then in three wide receiver sets, DeAndre Carter was their slot wide receiver. Yep. Uh, if Keenan's out again, Josh Palmer's the wide receiver, 32 in usage the first two weeks. He had almost 13 expected half PPR points. Mike Williams, uh, please send me your sit-start questions about Mike Williams. I love that. If, if you can't accept Mike Williams at his lows, you do not deserve his highs. And I mentioned this on the Instant Reaction Show, which we're live at about 7.30 Eastern every Sunday night. The people chirping at me about Joshua Palmer and how it's a garbage time touchdown. You just didn't understand the process. We want someone in this passing offense. We want the guy out there in two wide receiver sets. We want the one who's out there for 85, 90, 95% of the snaps. So if you follow that process, you're going to get points like that at times. The, the it wasn't third, a fluke. They're third in neutral pass rate. There's no fluky touchdowns to Justin Herbert. They, those are bankable. Correct. So maybe the timing at the end, but it's the process. That one out. Okay. Two things with the Los Angeles Rams. Maybe we should start with, with their backfield because we saw how it unfolded maybe unexpectedly in week one against the Buffalo Bills, Hayden, where Daryl Henderson completely dominated it versus what Cam Akers put out there. Now in week two, it was much, much closer between the two. Um, I think that's going to last despite, again, Cam Akers going 15 carries for 44 yards with an average of 2.9 because even getting him out on the field in multiple phases, running the ball and in pass pro shows that Cam Akers has elicited trust from Sean McVay that he didn't have in week one. I think they're going to get him the rock on early downs. I'm not sure about the pass protection quite yet. Just looking last week in routes, Henderson 51%, Cam Akers only 22%. So that's something to monitor. I thought Cam Akers looked all right. Uh, I'm with you. This is going to be, a, I think, relatively a two-back committee. Last week, it was 56% for Hendo. It's going to be similar, 60-40. They'll probably flip-flop. And that, that was my point. It's not that, like, hey, Cam Akers is good. Mm-hmm. It's more that we're not going to see the 80-20 or the 90-10 yeah. that we saw in week one that we have seen from Sean McVay's past. You know? It's going to be closer to what McVay wants that he's been saying all offseason, no matter what Cam Akers, I think, yards per carry is right now or this past week, because we already just saw it. It's going to be 55-45 or, or, or 60-40, and you're going to get mixed back there. And if you're going to start anyone, obviously, it's it's Daryl Henderson versus Cam Akers. Yeah, they'll be pretty close in my rankings. I haven't fully uh dissected that yet okay let's go to alan robinson because it was a big conversation here last week the question was asked is he washed we came down with the conclusion that no that it was a lot of pressure by the buffalo bills that wouldn't allow matthew stafford to get to his backside and he was really struggling with timing in zone coverage um against the atlanta falcons we saw a lot a lot of positives and this is why we drafted him you know as wide receiver 17 or 18 I'm not sure if we're going to get that level of production, but that was a cover uh, three on the like the first drive, and they got him a target goal line fade. This is press man coverage right here and roast him. I'm with you. I don't think that he is washed like athletically. I think all of that is as usual. He's just trying to get acclimated to this offense, and that could take some time. I thought Matthew Stafford looked much better this week than he did the week before. They're going to have to work through this uh, offensive line issues that they had, but I think yeah. – Allen Robinson is probably going to be an inconsistent wide receiver three, probably not the consistent wide receiver two we were hoping for um, just because Cooper cup is obviously the clear first read, but this week was much better. 
I, I did want to note up these two targets inside the 10 yard line. No team last year threw more inside the five and inside the 10 than the Los Angeles Rams. This was a, a major part of the theory of Allen Robinson this season, what he's going to take this backside X wide receiver role in short field situations. And he converted like this was a touchdown for Allen Robinson. And then we also got another target later on. And then what you don't even see is he scored another touchdown lined up in the backfield. That was a quick snap, but from the top of the booth down, they were called to AJ Terrell having a medical timeout. So really it was two touchdowns in this game, but anytime we get these, you know, six point plays, these six point targets to me, that is a, a focal point of why they brought in Allen Robinson as someone who can win small and who can win big, because that's what Odell made such a difference for them last year. And then hopefully a Rob can do it this year. If you're asking which is more predictive week one or week two, I think the week two stuff is more predictive. I think that's like the mixed bag you're going to get the, the there's a couple snaps against zone where I was like, ah, sit. And he wasn't on the same page. Uh, but then you have the man coverage stuff. You have the goal line stuff. It's kind of, uh, this could be situations where everyone's kind of right. He ends up being like the wide receiver 28 uh, on the week. Somebody in the chat was asking about Gerald Everett with the charge. I think it's probably worth going back just oh, yeah, yeah. on him. Uh, the fantasy usage model has Gerald Everett as the tight end seven in usage. He's the tight end four. He's had 8.4 and 13.2 expected half PPR points. The Gerald Everett stuff. I think that he looks fine. Kind of as like this, like Johnny Smith underneath and then let him get going using his athleticism, not necessarily the same traditional type of tight end stuff. And like we were going back with the Joshua Palmer stuff, touchdowns are, they're not flukes when they're attached to Justin Herbert, there will be touchdowns. And I think that he will be one of the primary benefits. I think last year, Jared Cook was like tight end five in red zone routes uh, per game. I don't see why Gerald Everett can't be that too. He's also the only one in that team that has any yards after catch threat. Yeah. The only one. Yeah. It's a reason why they brought him in. Miami Dolphins were an hour in and just got to the Miami Dolphins. Okay. There's so much we want to outline here. We did a lot of it uh, for the instant reaction show, but Hayden, I know since you have gone back and watched through this game and there's so much to dissect with not just Tua who earns a lot of praise, but also Jalen Waddle. And most importantly, you laughed at me. You laughed, but Mike McDaniel setting this team up for success. There's a lot to love. Lots to love. Uh, the first thing is the Dolphins are currently fifth in neutral pass rate, which is way, way, way more than I was expecting. But I think it was just there was a couple things looking at the tape. The anticipation was awesome for Tua this week. And there was a couple throws that were absolute dimes. That first one was a dime. This one, what I liked is, could you pause it real quick? Oh, of course. The formation and personnel usage that the dolphins are doing right now is awesome. This is empty. There's a fullback on the field. There is a running back at the top of the field. They have Jalen Waddle over the middle, the bottom of the screen. Watch after there's the yards after catch. This is a fullback blocking 40 yards downfield. And this is just, you have, you're in 21 personnel and then you go empty and then the, you spread them out and then you have all the speed on the field this is how you're creating the explosive so i thought mike mcdaniel had an awesome day and just using their backs in different ways that's tyree kill in the backfield they look at the the rpo they have the linebackers looking at tyree kill and then all of a sudden it's a tyree kill screen at the top here uh just so much stuff going on this is two running backs uh one running the clear out and then running a, a little leak behind them for a first down this is a bunch of just weird stuff that they got going on this is a fullback Watch, he's going to go to the right and then come back to the left wide open. Like, you just don't see this design with 
fullbacks, multiple running backs on the field just to open up the middle of the field. So uh, credit to Tua. This was the best throw of the game by far. Wide open, not really. Oh, Mike Gesicki just over the middle uh, against Tampa 2 in the red zone. So I thought everybody played well. Tyreek, Jalen Waddell, uh, obviously the coaching uh, it was a great game. There was some coverage bust, but I think there's a lot to take away here. Just the Dolphins being very aggressive and very unique in their pass game. Maybe one of the most unique offenses in the NFL already. Tua already has set a career high for a single season of five touchdowns of 10 plus air yards or through two games of the season. Last year, he attempted just 29 passes of 20 plus yards in 13 games. That was 30th in the NFL through two games. He's already attempted 10 of those 20 plus yard passes. That's tied for the seventh most in the league right now. And he's completed 60% of them. Like, again, it's it's all clicking for him. And that's not even talking about the intermediate area where they might be thriving the most, you know? Yeah. What, what I loved in week one was that they got everyone up to speed immediately and namely Tyreek Hill, right? They were doing a bunch of motions, getting him at full speed and then giving him the ball somewhat near the line of scrimmage. But man, this route, you see it with, with tight ends, so much where it's just like a little hesitation on the outside. It's an out and up from a really condensed split. So that means you're getting Jalen Waddle up against Patrick Queen, a linebacker. Like you're seeing some of the best concepts from Kyle Shanahan, from Mike McDaniel, but he's already putting his wrinkle on it. And then I'm so glad you highlighted Alec Ingle. There was way too much to talk about on Sunday night, but he made like three or four plays down the he's field, fun. which are insane. He's like, baby, use check. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that it's going to work this exact same way each and every week because, again, the Ravens defensive backs were hurt heading into this with, you know, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters not barely playing. But then, you know, Kyle Fuller and Brandon Stevens each played 50 or 80 snaps in week one, and they are on IR out of this contest. Um, but what I can say is that Mike McDaniel is going to scheme them up each week in a different way. And they're going to be the one of the first teams that I pop on on Game Pass every single Monday yep. because I just want to see the different wrinkles that he's throwing out there each week because it's exciting. Yeah, really is. They're not even using their running backs very often at all. You can't start either Raheem Mostert or Chase Edmonds at this point. They're kind of a committee. It's kind of hard to figure out. And they're just passing the ball at the goal line because they have all this cool scheme stuff. That's a great play from Tua. Tua looked a little, little healthier this year than he did last year uh, obviously multiple years coming back from that hip injury uh by now but yeah I, i'm gonna be eating my words i was not on the dolphins at any point this offseason and here here it comes this, this is i think this is somewhat real like it i'm is. not sure if like two like tua is like franchise elevating real but well, and his first half his, his first half was, was bad it was bad. bad might be strong it was concerning if that had lasted for the entire game, it would have been very concerning. You know, that first pick, it might have been more on the wide receiver. The second pick with a lack of awareness with the time left, that was really bad. Yeah. It was really bad. But what I loved was they never gave up. And then in the mistakes that the Ravens made in the back end and isolating players like Patrick Queen and Kyle Hamilton and other rookies that were out there like an Armour Davis, they took advantage of every single yeah. one. And his fourth quarter stats, it's weird. It's It might be a small sample. His fourth quarter stats are insane with Tua. I mean, to, it helps. It helps when the Ravens are like falling over and coverage bust and stuff. But, but that's in the thing some that ways we should take advantage. Of. We talked about that in the preview show. Is like the when there's cluster injuries, especially in the secondary, and it's a sure. secondary in a scheme that is very reliant on having good corners. That's why they pay uh, and trade for the the corners that they do have. When they're all injured, like coverage bust happens, and when there's coverage bust against man coverage or quarters coverage and stuff, it is seventy yard touchdown time. Yeah, both players just move differently. And Tyree Kill and, and Jalen Waddle. 
And in terms of time to throw, like there's a lot of offensive line stuff that make, makes a lot of sense, but he's only holding the ball for 0.2 seconds more this season in, in comparison to last year. It's just the offense is so beautiful at the moment. Okay. Minnesota Vikings. I don't have a lot to say here about the Vikings. Like this was simply awful football. There's going to be a statement that I might regret a little bit later on, but is this why, and it's not necessarily his fault, Justin Jefferson isn't quite Cooper Cup in fantasy, where one, you're attached to you're attached to Kirk Cousins and, and not Matthew Stafford. Because what we saw from Cooper Cup is he didn't catch his first pass until like four minutes left in the first half, then went on a seven-minute stretch of 79 yards and, and seven catches versus here, Justin Jefferson, when your team just gets demolished, you can kind of be phased out more so than you were in week one. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't watched this game on all 22 yet. All I know is 18.2 and 17.2 or 17.4 expected half PPR points for Justin Jefferson will will, will survive this. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I can't wait to watch this. I, the Kirk Cousins narrative on the the, the, the isolated games is, is just so wild to me, but who knows? Okay. New England Patriots. Uh, this is another team that through two weeks hasn't elicited a lot of love or affection and, and really shouldn't first. Can we talk about the backfield split? Because there was a lot of it heading into the week without Ty Montgomery that, Hey, Ramon Stevens is just going to take over all the passing down work, uh, maybe from a, a snap percentage he did, but he only ended with one reception in comparison to Damian Harris's too. How are you viewing this backfield for the next three weeks when it is just these two players? Cause Pierre strong didn't get a single snap. Yeah, the, the most important stat was the Pats running back three only had three offensive snaps. So this is a backfield cut into twos. Ramondre Stevenson played more of the passing downs. He ran around on 66% of the dropbacks. But Damian Harris is, I just think, more reliable, maybe better. I don't know what the word is, but he's out there and he's going to get more of the goal line opportunities. And right now he's the RB22 on RB21 usage. Meanwhile, Ramondre Stevenson, I think this will go up, but he's the running back 54. So I'm going to have a little bit of a, a gap between where I'm ranking Damian and Ramondre. But I did think that it was at least bullish that they didn't get a third running back involved last week. Yep. Okay. Wide receivers for this team. Uh, they got Kendrick Bourne a little bit more involved. Devontae Parker so far has been a big zero. The one who's creeping up there is Jacoby Myers. Uh, wide receiver 30 in points per game and half point PPR kind of what we just talked about with the running backs. It doesn't feel as nice in totality of an offense that we can expect to put up points. And it makes sense when you go from Josh McDaniels to Matt Patricia this season. And so that makes me hesitant to like bring in any of these peripheral pieces other than Damien Harris into the equation. Yeah, I'm treating Jacoby Myers as somewhat serious. 38% target share last week. He's the wide receiver 23 in the fantasy usage model show. They're running a lot of concepts where it's like just Jacoby Myers running these like flat routes in front of the zone coverage and they're hitting him there. He also had a couple plays uh, against man coverage last week. So he looks the best. They did get Kendrick Bourne. He looks more explosive. But I think like the storyline for me was Mac Jones. I've never seen him look this bad. Uh, this first one was like Tampa two. Uh, I thought there was a left tackle issue on this one. Uh, and he just throws it up for an interception, but this was like a pre-snap just didn't get the right alignment. and has to throw the ball away. Uh, he just looks like he doesn't trust his offensive line. And like, for example, right there, he throws that one way too early. doesn't get his feet dropped in. And I think it's because of the stunts. Uh, and he, this is a kind of a similar one escapes the po pocket probably earlier than he should have and just throws the ball up. He looks panicked and he doesn't look like he's trusting his offensive line. And I have never seen that from Mac Jones at right. any point. Those are usually his strengths. So I don't know if this is a coaching issue, if he just doesn't think that his offensive line is good enough, or if Mac Jones is just 
having a bad start to the year. I don't know what it is, but um, you missed a couple throws wide open for big chunk gains because you just didn't see them. And I, I've never seen this with Mac Jones. Yeah, unfortunately, this is not surprising after everything that we heard from the people covering the team this preseason. Like this is just carrying over, it feels like. And maybe there are times when, you know, teams are taking the first three or four weeks to get aligned, especially with a new OC. But I had confidence because I knew who the Patriots were last year, even though they kind of varied it at points, you know, splitting out wide with multiple pass catchers or running a bully power run game with Damian and Ramondre. I can't latch on to anything with this Patriots team. Yeah. They went back to the power rushing scheme this last week. Which is good. Which is good. But like, it's also like, well, what, what are we doing? Do we spend the entire training camp working on something else? And then it runs on some zone. Yeah. My other, other note here is like, Hunter Henry, what happened? Like he looks horrendous right now. Like nobody's getting open. Also, like that—that that is a part of this. I think a lot of this is on Mac's shoulders right now. And like I'm—I like Mac Jones a lot. Uh, he's this is as bad as he's ever played. Um, but I mean, somebody's got to step up with some speed here outside of Nelson Aguilar, absolutely mossing that guy. But other than that, it's been very stagnant. New Orleans Saints. Let's start off with the wide receivers. We know in Week One. Jarvis Landry went off. Michael Thomas had a nice week this past week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And all these columns and all these models, you're going to hear all about Chris Olave and how he's astronomical in terms of his air yards. Are they real or are they prayer yards, Hayden Winks? Well, I think it's kind of both. He was getting open on these post routes, and Jameis Winston was just missing them. Jameel Dean made an awesome play in the end zone against one of them. Uh, he had 334 air yards, which is like absolutely insane. 34% targets also. Uh, it's, he's not going to have this this a dot. Like this is like his role, but like 23.5 yards down the field is like unsustainable. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good out there, and this is a three wide receiver set offense, very aggressive. This is classic Jameis Winston throwing the ball downfield everywhere it just they all of them went incomplete there's a couple of defensive pass interferences along the way um they're looking for the consistency underneath and i think michael thomas eventually will <laughs> get there yeah i know he was really but this is what you're getting plays. you know sometimes air yards do just equal air yards when Jameis winston is your quarterback yeah you know especially when it's three wide receivers out there these downfield passes with Jameis, he's gonna let them loose because he's He's very aggressive, but I think that this sometimes can be a bit of an issue when we just attribute air yards like they're equal to every single quarterback out there. And Jameis isn't like that. You know, um, I'm not saying he's bad. Like he's a starting quarterback in this league. And I think Chris Olave is really, really talented, but you're going to get missed throws. You're going to get inaccurate passes and you're going to get stuff like that, which should not count as air yards. You know, <laughs> like that was way out of bounds. Like sometimes yeah. when context is missed here, context is missed. And it felt like a lot of this was also with like four minutes left when they were down yes. 20 to three. Yeah. You know, like let's just throw deep and, and see what happens. So again, I'm not criticizing Chris Olave, the individual talent. I just think as weird as it sounds, not to relate it back to earlier in the show, DJ Chark has been like inches away from some plays. These were yards away from Jameis Winston, but yeah, the opportunity from that regard was there. Yeah. That's why we play best ball, too. We don't have to worry about this. You see the air yards, and you know one week this is really going to hit for me. The next week it might not. Uh, the Saints ha are averaging over 400 air yards. The Bears, for example, are averaging 141 right now. So, like, this offense is just it's – it's back to classic Jameis. What we saw from the running backs, too, if Alvin Kamara misses, uh, Mark Ingram, like you said, I think he has some bounce right. still in his step. And then 
Tony Jones was out there in, in passing roles with like Washington sprinkling in in moments. I don't have much to say about the New York Giants. Hayden, this team is 2-0. Uh, Kadarius Tony played more in week two, but did less with his opportunity. He dropped some manufactured touches. Uh, the offensive pieces around Saquon Barkley are almost meaningless. And Richie James is like their most consistent pass catcher at the moment. How did this happen? <laughs> I mean, how do you go into the season with Richie James and David Sills? Right now, it's Sterling Shepard and David Sills on the on the outside. They both ran over ninety percent of routes, and then Richie James is their slot only player. Only ran a route on sixty percent of dropbacks, but he is very involved. Uh, all of them are outside the top forty-five in fantasy usage. You can't play any of these guys, uh, and we're just hoping that Saquon Barkley goes crazy. Um, and Daniel Jones has not changed; like he's still making the exact same mistakes. But in the end of the games, he's making like one or two plays where it works and they yep. win the game. Yeah. You know, so yeah. he's he's if Jameis is Jameis, DJ is DJ. A lot of the in Baker's Baker, a lot of the time we're just right. Like, you know, very, very rarely do these quarterbacks actually change. I want to play a game with you. Oh, Kenny Galladay. Will he be on the roster in week 18? Oh, in week 18? Probably is not. He, is he make the entire season? Probably not. I mean, they're still going to owe him all that money, but it, it does not. What about, Kad- what about Kadarius Tony? I think Tony will be. Yes. Um, okay. I did want to say with Saquon, like we outlined the tackles and how they were great. In week one, he had that massive like 68 yard run. I think he had another 38 yard run as well. Um, I think there are going to be weeks because the Giants being bad and Daniel Jones being bad and the wide receivers not having to keep necessarily defenses honest, play in and play out. That he's going to have to live off on some weeks, some of those big plays. He has it back in his system because he's back to being Saquon, but it's not, it's not as easy for him as it is some other backs throughout the league. Yeah, the Giants aren't very good. Uh, I will say um, 24th in neutral pass rate through two weeks, so this is not like a copy-paste Bills offense for sure. Um, I think there's going to be some weeks where Saquon catches like 10 passes, where the, the defense is getting obliterated and like they can't throw the ball to Richie James like enough already, and they're like Saquon's going to catch a bunch of passes. So if you're doing a redraft like right now, I think you'd be a top five pick. Saquon. Yeah, or just outside of it. You can go play best ball right now. Best ball resurrection. It's up in the lobby. It's week six through se- uh, 17. Week six through 17. Um, go and do it. It's fun. $500,000 in prizes. That's amazing. We're not joking around. Go I play. did really well in best ball resurrection in our employee drafts last year because the ADPs are all out of whack. All out of whack. Okay. There's a lot to talk about with the New York Jets. Let's start with the rookie wide receiver, and Garrett Wilson, he jumped from 56% of routes in week one to 79% of routes in week two. He already has 22 targets to his name. That's huge. Um, at least from a, a route standpoint, a snap standpoint, he surpassed Braxton Berrios this past weekend, who came into this game with a heel injury. Hayden, I think one way I can improve as someone that does this is we want to nail week one so much that I don't say I lose focus of the rest of the season because we loved Garrett Wilson, like his talent and how he wins in isolation was fantastic, but this happened quickly, you know, and if he keeps this up, he's definitely going to be out there in three wide receiver sets, but it's probably notable that he has, he necessarily hasn't surpassed Corey Davis in two wide receiver sets either. 78, 78% of routes last week, massive improvement that gets him onto the flex radar. He's literally the number one in wide receiver usage. Because even even though the routes aren't there, he's just getting peppered 
with targets. I thought that he looked pretty good. Got him the rock in multiple ways. Definitely has like yards after the catch athleticism and just very nasty just with his movements uh, in general. Uh, The Jets, their wide receiver unit combined are number one in fantasy usage. uh, 49.4 expected half PPR points, which is complete outlier stuff. I feel very confident that Joe Flacco is good for all of them over Zach Wilson. We'll see when the quarterback switch happens, but goal line fades uh, on top of his yards after the catch ability. I think that we should be taking this pretty serious. I think like the, this Garrett Wilson conversation quickly turns into Elijah Moore conversation. Mm. Could this Jets offense handle two wide receivers with Joe Flacco? Yes. Yeah. Was Zach Wilson? I don't know. Good question. Yeah. So we'll see. I think that, that, Corey Davis is underrated in general. Elijah Moore, we know is very good. And Garrett Wilson looks very good too. So it all comes down to the offensive line and the quarterback play. But I thought this offense looked relatively functional. I thought all the concepts were sound in general. And I thought Joe Flacco made a, a couple of nice throws downfield, really. Not to give up your trade secrets, but the reason why he's number one in overall fantasy usage is because he has more targets inside of the 10-yard line than any other wide receiver or tight end has in the red zone. Let me repeat yeah. that. More targets inside the 10-yard line at eight or at seven than any other wide receiver, tight end, pass catcher has inside of the entire red zone, 10 yards further out. Yeah. That's insane stuff. Yeah, that really is. And it feels like they are, are at least Joe Flacco has eyes for him in that area of the field. I want to replay all these highlights again. And I want the chat, people watching this afterwards, to just notice all the different alignments all the different routes that they asked Garrett Wilson to play from. Like it's, it's everything. And it's because he, he has that mold, you know, he is the line you up one-on-one and I'm going to win with separation and this exaggerated movement and create it by myself. I have, you know, the awareness, the, the body movement to get my feet down before I go out of bounds as well. If the pass is there, uh, I also have the short air quickness to, Win after the catch if you want me to. Uh, you can line me up in the slot if you want me to. You can put me up in backside and boom, five yards, three yards of separation on two movements. This is the type of rookie wide receiver who changes fantasy drafts now in fantasy leagues. Do I want to be attached to Joe Flacco in order to do that? No, but would I rather do that than Zach Wilson? Probably. Um, yes, th- not probably. Yes. <laughs> I'm telling everyone, yes, Joe Flacco is going to be more consistent. But at the same time, we did we did get bad Joe Flacco in week one, and we got good Joe Flacco in week two. Because I think the main difference is it was the Ravens in week one, right? The Ravens got there, though. Right. The Ravens have more pass catchers, or excuse me, pass rushers than just the Browns who ended up this game with just Miles Garrett. And and that was it. And so you can kind of work through that. But I'm I'm with you. Like I know I just outlined so much of what his game and how they're using him is just short, it's intermediate, it's deep, it's outside, it's inside, it's red zone, it's goal line, it's all of it. Um, this is for real, is basically the easy way of putting this. Brown's defense, I mean, what's going on here? Like there's it's not it's never easy. They have too much talent to be this bad. That's all I said. I agree. I definitely agree. And it's just Miles Garrett up front, like no one else is generating anything. Any pass rush. Clowney, by the way, when the way that Clowney, he, I think he got banged up on the play. Joe Flacco outround, outround Clowney. Like it, I, I was stunned to, to yeah. see it. 
one final note. Remember last year when things weren't going well with Zach Wilson, Mike LaFord did some really awesome stuff with Braxton Berrios, like some double throwbacks and things. Like he knows how to create plays with design. So like getting him these two talents, I'm not diminishing Corey Davis. He's still out there in even two wide receiver sets. But getting Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson out there is going to be lots of fun toys for for Mike LaFord. Okay, quickly, because people want to know, it's not the only rookie on this team. Brees Hall is also out there. Brees Hall got a jet sweep on the second snap. He's the one that got a touchdown. But if you dig a little bit deeper, Michael Carter is still by far and away this team's lead running back. And then you add on Ty Johnson this past weekend too. Ty Johnson got in there in the two-minute drill. Don't like that at all. Uh, That's bad for both Carter and Brees Hall. Michael Carter, 60% snaps. Brees Hall, 29%. I think Brees Hall will be a post-by-rookie bump candidate. Uh, You're really playing with fire if you think that you're going to be starting him. And the flex is just going to require a bunch of checkdowns because Michael Carter is just good. There was a, I posted a play on the, to Twitter. Just he's so damn elusive. I agree. I, I totally agree with that. So is this maybe a situation that we talked about earlier, Hayden? Can it be similar to James Robinson and Travis Etienne where Michael Carter is a James Robinson and Brees Hall is a Travis Etienne? Or could we see a real flipping happen later on? Or is it too early for us to know? I think both situations could flip. I, I think Brees Hall and Travis Etienne could like be the number one in their offense, but it's it's not an easy task. I think Michael Carter and James Robinson are good at what they what they're asked to do. Interesting. I don't want to revisit it, but I don't think there is a way for Travis Etienne to supplant James Robinson for the role that they have them assigned. Okay, Philadelphia Eagles. Holy crap, Jalen Hurts! Before we get there. I did love the usage from Devontae Smith this week in comparison to week one. I talked about it because we had an awesome viewer who reached out and said, hey, man, this is Zach Berm and maybe even Bo Wolf said it, that like this is a squeaky wheel narrative. Devontae Smith was not just attached to the sideline. Devontae Smith was getting shorter routes to the left side and also over the middle of the field. Yeah, it was it was better usage for him, some more in-breaking routes and easier stuff. Uh the fantasy user model still don't love love it. I don't think he got anything near the end zone or anything downfield. Um, but I think like the big storyline from for me was Jalen Hurts. Like we knew that Jalen Hurts could do all of the fun stuff at quarterback and what makes him such an elite fantasy quarterback. What we saw last week was throws over the middle, and they weren't just a bunch of nonsense throws over the middle. There's one RPO included in here, but just waiting for it, manipulating these second-level defenders with his eyes, and then throwing the ball with accuracy. Much easier to do that when you have A.J. Brown, but lots of throws over the middle, creating space like you would expect Jalen Hurts to do. But if Jalen Hurts is going to throw on time, over the middle, this is a Super Bowl contending team. They have the trenches. They have the secondary play. Darius Slay was amazing last night. They have the wide receivers. Jalen Hurts can do all the trickeration stuff. If he can throw the ball on time, over the middle, and read defenses, it is a very, very, very legit team. And he did it on like 10 different throws last night. The new stuff of Jalen Hurts. This is a definitely a development. And we shouldn't be that surprised Jalen Hurts has outperformed his expectations at Alabama, at Oklahoma, uh, early on uh, with the Eagles. And now, once again, I think that he's turning into quite the quarterback, uh, not just for fantasy, but I think that the Eagles should be very, very happy with his development. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up because I focused on this Jalen Hurts heat map this summer, the addition of A.J. Brown, who we know thrives over the middle of the field. Hopefully that gave Jalen Hurts answers. But it wasn't just the middle of the field. It was also to the left side of the field. And look what we saw last night. Probably Nick Sirianni and company saying, hey, 
let's take advantage of the left cornerback on this team, these left pass catchers that we have on our team. And Jalen, can you execute? Boy, did he execute, you know? And then, like you said, over the middle of the field, not just short, it was more downfield too. Like, this is beautiful. This is exactly what we want to see. A dude that is so accustomed to climbing the pocket, escaping to the right, and either running it or throwing it off to his right, to now we truly see the evolution. We truly see the progression. And I love seeing not only live watching it, but then the the evidence of it like this, the visual evidence of it like this. And like you said, we have huge questions about so many teams in the NFC that have been doing it for so long. The Eagles, if they keep this up, they're They're stacked. They're stacked at defensive back. They're stacked at defensive line. They're stacked at offensive line. And then you bring this playmaking success. It's a, it's a joy. It's a real joy to watch. He's so easy to root for. Like, yeah, he's so he's, he's the best. Okay. There goes the Philadelphia Eagles. We go from them to the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. The worst. A tale of two teams. If Mitchell Trubisky continues to play like this, he's going to limit all these pass catchers. You know, I think in isolation, they're all doing really well. When you go back and watch them, Deontay Johnson's creating separation. George Pickens is doing his thing. Chase Claypool had some manufactured touches in week one. But his passing chart, Mitchell Trubisky, it's all literally to the sideline because he knows if he throws it there, it's either going to be an incomplete or something that's batted down and go over their head. You know, like he's basically adding a defender on the field for how often he's he's attached to these sideline throws. It's it's brutal watching Mitch in this offense right now. Yeah, they need to bench him. I, I, it's just everything's bad. It really is. There's nothing downfield either. Like they have like chase. Everything is downfield on the side. It's like a 20 yard back shoulder fade. Like that's, that's their downfield. You know, it's like the same. It's like very similar offense, except instead of big Ben, just falling over. It's like Trubisky, just like designed rolling out to his left and throwing the ball underneath. It's like the same, it's the same stuff, yeah. you know? So we, we need somebody that can read the field and throw, it has to be picket. take chances over the middle and stuff. It's got to be Kenny Pickett enough already. I said that about the wide receivers. Um, where the targets don't actually matter for them, which is weird to say. But I think the barrier for entry for tight end, as we keep saying, is so much lower that Pat Fryermuth 100% should be locked into your starting lineup because the red zone, the inside the 10-yard stuff is exactly the process and the formula that we want from, from tight ends. He's the tight end six in the usage model, tight end five in points. He created separation on that that little slant in the end zone. He's just, he's just very good at the game. Love it. San Francisco 49ers. Your season has changed, you know? Um, Trey Lance ran the ball three times before that awful ankle injury that he suffered. Um, but now what we have is Jimmy Garoppolo returning to an offense that he did not practice with for the majority of training camp. What stood out to me, Hayden, is that once he did come back into it, he attempted five passes outside the numbers and 10 plus yards down the field. I guess my question is, will it last, right? Because there's so many things that, we thought this team was going to be different this year, but they've already reverted back to that. And the first one is, is the quarterback. So my question to you, do you think it is going to get back condensed to the middle of the field? Or do you think, cause it was so much of an emphasis with Trey Lance that we could see some, these bigger plays outside the numbers. Like we saw to Ray McLeod and, and Ross Dwelly and, and Brent Ayuk in this game. I think that it could, it could last. I mean, we've seen like Derek Carr take a, a step when he was, had a little pressure behind him to step up. And I think like the narrative that you that you and Brett Coleman had on that one podcast is that Brandon Ayuk has developed. He's taking the game more serious. And all of that development stuff is all down the field. There's a couple of defensive pass interferences to Brandon Ayuk 
on the perimeter. I don't see why Jimmy G can't throw the ball out there. It's not going to be as pretty, but he's a functional quarterback. I thought he, he played great last week. So uh, I, I think this is an uptick for everybody. Debo Samuel looked great as well. He, they're going to use him all over the place. But I think that the, if Brandon Ayuk is taking the development that you had predicted, I don't see why he can't throw the ball downfield a little bit more this year than last year, because last year, if Brandon Ayuk wasn't on the field, they don't really have a deep threat. Right. Debo Samuel can do it, but Debo Samuel is going to run all the in-breaking stuff uh, and the, the schemed up stuff. So I, I think that they're going to be good. I, I think the 49ers are, are also in that NFC contender list. So it's not just the quarterback that has reverted back to where we left this team last year. It's also like, where Brendan Ayuk in the final 10 games of last year possibly got home was because Debo Samuel so many backfield snaps. And now with this backfield, it's no Elijah Mitchell for the moment. Now Ty Davis price is going to miss extended period of time because of his high ankle sprain. We know what Jeff Wilson brings the table. I actually thought looked decent last week, but we're going to see more and more and more Debo Samuel into the backfield, which gives him manufactured touches, which gives him red zone and end zone opportunities but again, I think that unleashes Brandon Ayuk as like the pure number one wide receiver pass catcher too. Debo is a positive regression candidate per my model. Didn't think I would ever be able to say that. Him and Jamar Chase in one show. Yeah. You wow. remember because I said that there were negative regression candidates coming into the season. So the model was right then and now it's going to self-correct again. Wow. Um, yeah, like the Jordan Mason stuff. I understand getting him on waiver wires now because he was trusted to be on this roster. But he didn't see a single touch last week, right? Like once Ty Davis Price got hurt, which was later in the game because he handled 10 plus touches and was going to be a part of this offense. Um, it still was stuck to Jeff Wilson and Debo Samuel. Like Debo still the team's best outside runner. Like, oh, yeah, if they get someone between the tackles and the blocking is still a mess in the interior of this 49ers offensive line, Debo creating big plays in the edge, even though what his eight out is like two yards. It's right like one flat. That's wild. I'm yeah. I'm still very intrigued. I know all of my pitch for Brandon Ayuk this summer was based on Trey Lance. I'm still intrigued with it happening because, again, it did in the final 10 games of last year when he averaged the same number of points as Tyreek Hill and Mike Evans. Uh, Jeff Wilson, 15.7 expected half PPR points last week, despite rotating in with uh, Debo Samuel. The 49ers are dead last in neutral run rate or neutral pass rate. It's like all run first. Interesting. Do you think some of that is because of week one? Like, I know I, I, I keep bringing that up, you know, but I I firmly believe like that team could not do exactly what they wanted to in in week one. And I think that that's going to impact them, you know, until we have a larger sample size from them. But that's just maybe me. No, it's good. That's math right there. That's context. That's your, your statistician now. <laughs> okay. I think we've covered both. Hopefully we get George Kittle back at some point because uh, I think I think this week. The, the, the tight end position in fantasy football surely needs a savior. Okay. But that, that's not going to be great for Debo and Ayuk, sadly. Seattle Seahawks. Uh, no one in this backfield is worth it when they all play in this manner. You know, not just the offense in totality when it doesn't put up a bunch of points, but like when Rashad Penny gets 70% of the early down work and then 30% goes to Kenneth Walker. And then still the passing game work goes to Travis Homer and the passing back work goes to, to DJ Dallas. If you catch my drift. Like, it's just a mess totally for this running back spot that you can't play any of them at the moment. Yeah. Homer led the backfield with 20, 
22 snaps. So it's not great. Am I wrong in still being intrigued by DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett? Like DK had an awesome catch taken away. He's getting involved. His A dot is lower. Hopefully that means efficiency is better. And then Tyler Lockett crossed what a hundred yards this past weekend and he's still getting it. And like that was all, all of that usage, all of those air yards are those opportunities where when this team was really bad and Gino didn't have a great week, you know? I haven't watched the game on film yet, but I did go back just to see the sample size getting slightly bigger with Geno Smith and in games with, with Geno Smith going back to last year, Tyler Lockett has 42 targets. DK Metcalf has 33. And then also for DK Metcalf is a dot with Russ last year was 13.4 yards on field. That's classic DK Metcalf with Geno Smith. It's at 7.8. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. They might be using DK Metcalf in different ways as he's developing in his career, but Geno Smith traditionally is a quick hitting check down artist. So we probably not going to have as much big play ability with DK Metcalf, except when he's creating it himself right now, both of them are like the, I think what Tyler Lockett's the wide receiver 41 DK Metcalf wide receiver 52 in fantasy usage. That is in the game uh, against two decent defenses uh, and one game they won. So I think those will, those will be better, but I think they're going to be pretty inconsistent. Okay. Let's go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers statement time. I don't think there's anything wrong with Tom Brady. Yes. I know this team's not putting up a lot of points. I know that he was the quarterback three last season, but I think that that is all due to the peripheral pieces right now for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that they aren't getting to where we wanted them to be. It's also that he's thrown 25 fewer passes this year through two games than he did last year through two games. So I guess my question to you, Hayden is, is it offensive line injury luck that has crashed for this team now that they are playing it safe? Or is it your other theory that Todd Bowles has an impact on this team, even though obviously Byron left, which is the coordinator this year and was the coordinator last year. I think the long answer is it's a little bit of everything. I definitely think that going to a defensive minded head coach is going to play into this a little bit, but I also think that the wide receivers were brutal last week. Yep. Uh, the saints, like always are playing a lot of two man, some cover one stuff. And that's just putting a lot of pressure for their wide receivers to get open. And Scotty Miller couldn't make a play Rashad Perriman couldn't make a play except for that Tom Brady pass to win the game, which was an insane See, throw. That, that's what I'm saying because I don't think anything's wrong with him because he had that Scotty Miller play on the right sideline. That was a, a thread. And then that Brashad Perryman touchdown was a laser, yeah. you know, and you see the velocity still over and over and over again. So I think that this might change on a dime. Like this might change any given week that we get back to him throwing more and more and more, but not this week, but not they this week. No, they got no wide receivers. Mike, Mike Evans is suspended. Chris Godwin's yeah. probably not going to be there. Uh, Julio Jones is like 50, 50 to play. Scotty Miller and Brashad Perriman just aren't very good. So this is going to be, I think a pretty run heavy build as well. Also like Russell Gage, like please make one play like I know. 80% routes. And he's the last week. I mean, his eight odds two, 2.0. Yeah. I don't know what's uh, going on. Just quickly backing this up with numbers, Tom Brady through two weeks, his time to throw is at 2.52 seconds. That's the fastest for quarterbacks who have started both games a season. And his air yards per attempt is 9.7, which is the fourth highest. It's basically in line exactly for what That's we perfect. saw last season. It's just, again, 25 fewer passes through the first two games. And then running the ball is not helping either because the offensive line is a travesty at the moment. So literally Leonard Fournette, who's owning this backfield in opportunities, is just running into brick walls. Yeah, 87% snaps. Uh, Rashad White had to drop in there. Again. He got 
Yeah, and he's if, if it's going to be a run-heavy offense, Rashad White's a space back. He's not yep. like going to be running up the middle. All these duo runs, a classic Buck stuff, is very Leonard Fournette focused. Fournette is one of the biggest positive regression candidates uh, in the league. I think he can catch like seven, eight passes in one of these games too if they ever are like trailing. Their defense is playing great. Yes. Which definitely helps them and keeps them in these games when, you know, it's like three to three heading into the fourth quarter. I think that this Bucks team, you know, in his first year there too, it took him a while to really click. It can click immediately for mm-hmm. this team. So I'm 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 still in on it. When Julio Jones comes back. They need him, man. Scotty Miller. Then. There were Can't so many play. plays, just like it was just like one on one, isolated, make a play challenge and could not do it. Could not do it. Tennessee Titans. Um I did want to bring up Traylon Burks going back to the Garrett Wilson conversation, because when you look at Traylon Burks, he's getting more and more usage, even though let's say Mike Vrabel, when asked about it, doesn't sound thrilled about the Traylon Burks uh, experiment, which is, I think going really well. Like I'll bring up all of his plays right now, but 17 routes on 28 dropbacks, which is actually third on the team. And then on 30 routes, just 30 routes, he has seven catches for 102 yards. Yeah, he got a couple schemed up passes. There's like a third down conversion that he looked pretty athletic. The first week, it was all deep threat stuff. And then obviously against the two high bills, it was a more underneath stuff. He's mixing in. He's going to be probably their leading receiver this year. I think that's going to be some of a rotation just because like Bray Bull was saying is he's still learning and getting a feel for how to win on the outside. This is a brand new position for him. But like Robert Woods isn't going to be making plays. Nick Westbrook Akine is not going to be making plays. Kyle Phillips probably not going to be making plays. So they have to get him the rock. I just think it's going to be a very iffy offense. Like very, especially if Taylor Lewan's injury. That's I know nice. that he got uh got or he left last week. Right. If, if they're not going to be able to run the ball, I it's going to be very iffy. Um, we'll see. I think the ceiling of this offense is much lower than the 14 and two team or the whatever seed that we saw them, the number one seed last season. And in other times that AJ Brown has, has thrived. Like I think this team overall is just worse. Ryan Tannehill's worse. The team expected totals are going to be way worse. So that's going to cap the ceiling. But at the same time, like I think some of this stuff is exactly what we saw from AJ Brown in this same uniform. You know, it's these crossing routes over the middle and they are trying. And that's probably where he's at his best. Now at the same time, Kyle Phillips was super banged up heading into this contest. And it felt like Kyle Phillips didn't play nearly as much as he did in uh in week one but this is one of those players that like look we see it all the time with rookies they can struggle early on they can backload a lot of fantasy points and Traylon burks probably is going to end up as a top wide receiver on this team if they can keep the same not creative ways per se but like simplified stuff Mm -hmm. that he can earn it on a weekly basis it's just very different to me than like a hey top of the food chain type wide receiver status I think he's a bench hold. If he's available, you should pick him up. His usage will get better. I haven't seen anything like the AJ Brown. Like is like obvious. Like oh, that's like the best athlete on the field. I don't. I just don't see that I'm with athleticism you. with him yet. He's getting there. He, the fact that he's on the field already should be considered a win for where he was in training camp. We're a ways away. I just, I never really thought that he was as athletic as everyone thought he was. Uh, we'll see. I've been wrong plenty of times. Right. Okay, let's close with the Washington Commanders who have three really fun players at wide receiver. We've seen Terry McLaurin get there with some big plays down the field. We've seen Jahan Dotson, the rookie wide receiver, get there with touchdowns like every single week. It's touchdowns to Jahan Dotson who's doing some really fun stuff. 
But speaking of that, Curtis Samuel in back-to-back games is getting heavy usage from his old pal in Scott Turner. We outlined it against the Jaguars. We'll switch on over later on to the Detroit Lions in the same one. But it's short, closer to the line of scrimmage, manufactured targets that he's the primary on. And as long as he stays healthy, he's going to get these each and every week. Yeah, average depth of target, Terry McLaurin, 15 yards downfield. Jahan Dotson, 14 yards downfield. Curtis Samuel, three yards downfield. He's getting all the gadget stuff, the the running back uh, snaps, all that fun stuff is going to Curtis Samuel here. So right now, Curtis Samuel's the wide receiver, 19 in fantasy usage. Jahan Dotson, wide receiver, 40. Terry McLaurin, wide receiver, 45. Uh, Right now, Terry McLaurin, 67% of his targets are traveling 15 yards downfield. That's the most in the NFL. We need Terry McLaurin to get some more manufactured stuff or otherwise it's going to be a long season for him. Probably going to end up being a better in best ball, but at his ADP, it's better that you didn't have him in the best ball too. So Curtis Samuel, we got to ride him while he's hot. I think that I'm going to be ranking him very close to Terry McLaurin uh, this week. And like you said, Jahan Dotson, the touchdowns are out of control. Uh, 2.4 touchdowns over expected already. That's not sustainable, obviously, but no. Um, fun, fun offense to watch. Even when, even when Carson Wentz is bad and the offensive line, I didn't think played that well, still like fun to watch. You already know there's going to be something happening on every play. This was a little less so than week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They um, still had some fun elements. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Curtis Samuel, it's Jahan Dotson. It's, it's Terry McLaurin. There's less fun stuff to Antonio Gibson. This was beautiful. I mean, this is why we love Scott Turner on the show. Talk about putting wide receivers in the backfield, especially a guy who has backfield snaps on his on his resume. What you're going to see is this defensive end 53. I think it's Charles Harris um, has to carry and follow Curtis Samuel out here. And then it's just the easiest pitch and catch for a touchdown. Sure, the safety just gets there over the top, but he scores it like mm-hmm. again. These are all scheme specific stuff. This is a leak pattern Great design. I mean, beautiful. Scott loves Curtis Samuel. We're outlining this because, again, we know that you drafted Jahan Dotson. We know that you drafted Terry McLaurin as like the wide receiver 16 overall. But let me repeat, and I've said this for five straight shows, as long as Curtis Samuel is healthy, Curtis Samuel is going to touch the ball. He's a mainstay. He's a flex option. Should I rank him next week? If you're, you're Hayden Winks and you're doing the rankings, Terry McLaurin or Curtis Samuel next week, what do you think? I still think, oh man, it's close. They're right next to each other. That's yeah. Weird. I mean, I think the issue this week with, with Carson Wentz, I think it all depends on Carson Wentz for Terry McLaurin because it's the less efficient as you outline deeper targets that can equal more fancy points. They're high value targets, right? But this week against the lions, he went back to the trebuchet. He planted in the pocket, those extended sacks, those effort sacks were there. And then at times he even backed into them to Aiden Hutchinson mm-hmm. and gave him a sack total as well. So it's what you're getting from Carson with Curtis. You don't have to rely on Carson Wentz, you know, like sure. He might get a touchdown because we're seeing it near the goal line. Scott's being super creative, but you're also not going to get, unless he breaks one out a 40, 50, 60 yards. But that's the dilemma in you doing the rankings and me just getting to criticize them. Yeah, it's great. Um, Antonio Gibson, RB four and usage pretty insane because he's not even playing the passing downs, but they're getting him the rock and he's obviously the goal line back. So uh, he's a, solid RB2 until Brian Robinson, who's making progress great for Brian Robinson already doing ladder drills and stuff. That's very cool. So this is uh this is the show. This is the show. That was it. Thanks for sticking with me. Uh I was having to 
upload each of those team slates as we were going along because I forgot to upload them beforehand. So that's why I might have been a bit delayed in some of that. Hopefully you didn't notice. If you didn't, I didn't. smash that subscribe button, hit that thumbs up. We'll be back here with Hayden Winks's rankings on Thursday in the tiers at quarterback, at running back, at wide receiver, and tight end. And as you know, we let loose last Friday with our game-by-game game preview show. The people loved it. So let's do it again. Let's do it again this Friday. Both those Thursday and Friday shows are around 11 to 1 Eastern. Just check the channel. Hit subscribe. This has been a blast. Share it with a friend if you enjoy these stats versus film shows. And check out the fantasy usage model, which is down and linked below. The algorithm doesn't really like these two-hour shows, so leave a comment. Do all that fun stuff. Help it out. Definitely leave a comment. If we didn't hit on some names that you want us to, leave that below, and we will do that later on. And if you're here, hit refresh after we're done and just leave a comment. Like, 500 of you doing that immediately? That'd be huge. Tell Hayden Winks he's handsome. All right. Up the villa. We will talk to you all soon. See ya.